So what does the Jehovah's Witness equivalent of what would be like a Catholic mass or service look like? Yeah. So um, one of the um, uh, one of the kind of hallmarks of the bite model, which uh, which you were mentioning, is um, just constant activity in in church services. So um, growing up, we had three church services per week. Uh, ours was on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Um, and then we were also expected to go uh, out knocking on doors on Saturdays. Um, aside from that, we were also expected to study for the Tuesday and Thursday and Sunday meetings on our own personal time. Um, so we were just constantly in the world of, of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, you won't see anything too remarkable. It's um, at a normal service, people walking in with suits and dresses, they sit in the audience, um, they kind of rotate speakers that deliver kind of sermons. Um, and then there are other sections of um, like, they'll read a paragraph, they'll ask a question on the paragraph, someone in the audience, you know, delivers an answer from the paragraph, almost like a third grade reading comprehension exercise. Um, once a year, they have the memorial, which takes place on uh, the Jewish calendar of Nisan 14, where they, um, uh, they commemorate the death of Jesus and they pass bread and wine. They don't eat it unless you're one of the 144,000 because only the 144,000 are part of that covenant that Jesus made, um, you know, with his followers, everyone, uh, everyone else, we just literally just pass it like, um, you know, down the line, um, in a, in a sort of reverence for, for the occasion. The concept of some people be, being exalted to the anointed 144,000 positions, that reminds me of, in the Byte model, it's not exact, but it's very close to insider versus outsider doctrine. Like, I know it's not necessarily doctrine, but it's like there's different uh, divisions within the organization that are quite strict. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, let's see, who would, yes, Balin, uh, do you want to ask this question right here? Yes. Um, how does the baptism process work? Yeah. So, um, for, uh, for, so most people that are practicing witnesses right now were raised into it and, um, you were only given positive reinforcement for, um, for advancing in the organization. You're given a lot of punishment for, uh, anything that, uh, making any choices that deter you away from it. So, um, you know, most, most children that are raised in it get baptized between the ages of like 11 and 14. I got baptized when I was 13. And um, it's, it's a process where there are three sessions where you go through questions with elders that sit down with you and they make sure you understand their doctrine. Um, and if you do, and your, you know, behavior is in line with uh, your behavior and your image is in line with uh, what they want, uh, then they'll allow you to get baptized at an assembly or a convention. Um, that, um, that baptism basically makes you officially one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and that's what puts you under the shunning rule if you ever have sex outside of marriage, accept a blood transfusion, you know, doubt or criticize uh, leadership. Um, and, and so that's how they justify, that's one of the ways they justify their intense shunning rules is by saying, oh, well, you got baptized. You agreed to these rules when I was a 13-year-old and only getting positive reinforcement for, um, for doing that. Yeah, that's also kind of sounds a bit like, uh, you know, 
information control. Where uh, I know the the uh, kind of the unofficial thing is, if you have any doubts, look it up on JW.org. So, yeah. Uh, Noah, did you want to ask uh, number sixteen right here? Um, being a missionary is voluntary. Um, so that's different from like Mormons where it's kind of expected that you'll go on a two year mission. Um, you, uh, you go through a you know long training process at a Bethel headquarters facility, uh, and then you're assigned a, um, an area and, um, it is voluntary as long as people are, you know, they, they want to do it. They can, uh, they can make the decision to stop anytime. And it's, uh, it's not punished too, too badly, um, um, socially for them to, to end their missionary work. Um, and, um, aside from that, it's kind of, it's what you'd expect. You're assigned to a new land and you basically preach there full time. And, uh, how does the door knocking uh, process work? Uh, every area is broken down into territories um so like you live somewhere you're assigned to a specific congregation and you knock doors within that territory um so they have little territory cards that you you get and say oh we'll work this street today um so you uh you get up you meet at nine o'clock and um yeah you just go knocking on doors and um you know most, almost no one was interested. If they were, it was only kind of a passing interest, maybe even just to be kind to, to people who are at their door. Um, but we were expected to follow up on people who were interested and try to talk them into starting a Bible study. Um, and that would eventually progress them into being a Jehovah's Witness. Fascinating. Um, so what would be a the Jehovah's Witness? And we're, we're almost done with the questions, by the way. Yeah. Uh, what would be? I know you touched on this a little bit earlier about the uh, New York headquarters, but uh, what what is the uh, Jehovah's Witness equivalent of? You know, Vatican City. That's the only one I can really uh, think of uh, as a, as an analogy. Um, and what does it look like? And what what goes on there? How does it how does it operate? Yeah, so um, there are three facilities in upstate New York um, that are that make up the world headquarters. Um, the, the, the main one is in Warwick, New York, uh, that was built not too long ago, of course, on unpaid labor. And, uh, it's, um, it looks like a very modern, um, business building. Like there's a lot of glass. It's on a lake. Um, it's very, like very clean and sterile. Uh, if you visit there, they'll have a, um, a few museums on like the history of the Bible or the history of the organization itself. Um, there's another one in Patterson, New York, and that is largely where the creative work comes from, uh, their art and their music. And then there's another one in Wallkill, New York, which is where a lot of their printing work is done. Wow. And that's uh, like the, uh, what is the name of the printing organization? Again, is it Zion's Watchtower? Is that what it, is that what it is? Um, yeah, the the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society is uh, the main legal name for uh, the entity that governs Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, I should have known that because I know the Zion's Watchtower. That was the like Charles Taze Russell's newspaper, correct? Yeah, 
the uh, yeah Charles Chase Russell's um, you know newspaper that he released on a regular basis. Yeah, so I was wondering, uh, like, uh, I'll just maybe ask the second last question, then maybe uh, whoever wants to can ask the last one. Uh, so, uh, f- so, like, how do Jehovah's Witnesses, like, shun their former members? Because I think that's very important to discuss that and if, uh, if we want this to stop. And um, what can one do to, uh, as a Jehovah's Witness or a former Jehovah's Witness, to prevent this from happening or to regain footing uh, in life? And how can a non-Jehovah's Witness help a Jehovah's Witness who is being shunned? So just kind of all-encompassing yeah of course so the um the shunning is absolute um there is like if you're being if you're disfellowshipped and you go to a meeting um they can't even make eye contact with you um and and if they're found associating with you they will be punished as well and that extends to uh family as well um if you um you know seen some like uh, video dramatizations where a child, um, you know, left and was disfellowshipped. Um, you know, there's dramatizations where she's calling her mother and her mother sees the call on her cell phone and she, she doesn't answer it. And, uh, and she's crying cause she hates shunning her, but it's Jehovah's loving punishment. Um, for, um, one way that you can leave and potentially avoid shunning, um, is if you don't make it known that you're breaking the rules and you um, never um, outspokenly criticize the organization. If you just kind of stop going to their services, you know, stop all that, you, you'll you still be treated very differently, um, but you might be able to avoid uh, family shunning. Um, it's, it's not an exact science, but that's a really restrictive way to live because you can never share that you're celebrating a holiday. You can never share that you, you know, live with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, without getting married. You can never share that you went to a, a pride parade or all these other things. You just can't share about your life because if you do, then then your past will come back to haunt you, and they'll they'll bring the hammer down and make sure that those shunning rules are enforced. Um, for witnesses that leave and are are trying to find footing. Um, it is very difficult. It takes a couple years. Um, and I would just say like, try making friends with non-witnesses, see, you know, whatever your passions or hobbies are, see if there are meetup groups in the area for art or hiking. Um, uh, you know, if you're single, you can, you know, try dating. And, um, uh, even if it's just setting up a a Tinder profile, you know, that can kind of just get you out in, in the social world. Um, I think non-witnesses can help witnesses by um, understanding that they they don't have any past that they can that they can hang on to or that they can share. Um, it is a total blank slate. So sometimes it can feel difficult. Where if I'm trying I'm trying to make friends, but I can never really get there because these people I'm trying to make friends with already have friends that they've been with for 10 or, or 20 years, you know, ever since childhood. And uh, I just don't really have the chance to, uh, to be close to anyone from, from my childhood. So um, just going the extra mile to be a little extra inclusive um, and, and invite that person to, to events where, uh, where you, you might not otherwise. Thank you so much. I think that was uh, definitely the most important uh, piece of the interview. Um, 
because it is, uh, you know, like it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's definitely the worst part. I would, I would argue of the or- organization with the possible exception of blood transfusion, but I, I still think this one probably takes the cake, unfortunately. But, um, our, I guess our last uh, question would be, um, what did it mean to be a Jehovah's witness? And, um, I guess what advice would you give to, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Cause I don't want to end it on like a dark note. Cause usually I just end it with like, uh, what does it mean to be like a, like, like a, an Ahmadi Muslim? What does it mean to be a, a Buddhist? Uh, but for you, you, you used to be a Jehovah's witness. So, um, so uh, I'll just maybe say like, what advice, uh, would you give to someone who's questioning the Jehovah's witnesses as, but like before that, maybe you could ask what maybe you could answer. What did it mean to be Jehovah's witness? And then you could, and then you could give the advice. Yeah. At the time that I was a witness, it meant that, I was one of the chosen few that everyone else was living in this dark world of, you know, sin and pain. And, and I was one of only 8 million people on the planet that, that, you know, was exempt from that. And we were told all the time, we're the only ones that had true happiness. We're the only ones that experienced true love. Um, And um, so I, I can understand how questioning that would be uh, a, I mean, I know how questioning that is just a really painful process because all these things that you, um, you were terrified of, or you look down on, you now have to accept and think, well, this doesn't really hurt anyone. So why is it a bad thing? Um, My advice for people who are questioning is that looking into, um, or looking into critical views of the organization is a win-win situation for you. Either you will see the criticism, see that it doesn't have validity, that uh, it doesn't hold any weight, and your faith will be stronger now um, in the organization because you'll see the other side, you'll know why it's wrong and why you have the truth. Or there is something to the criticism, and if there is, then you're in the wrong religion, a religion that controls every facet of your everyday life, and you need to get out of it. So you truly have nothing to lose in in doing this research, um, you know, which I, I guess isn't entirely true because a lot of people stay in because they're afraid of losing their family or their, their entire social structure. But um, just in the sense of, you know, uh, whether or not you'll believe in the right thing or be misled. Uh, you just have to trust that you'll know truth when you see it and that there'll, there'll be that ring to it, I guess. I, I'm not sure how else to put it. No, that is awesome. Uh, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Uh, uh, we were we were joined. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been uh, The Godcast, uh, joined by special guest, Mr. Uh, James uh, Hausman. I'm Xavier. I'm Rylan. I'm Balin. I'm I'm James. Awesome. And this has been uh, the Godcast. Stay tuned for planned future episodes. Uh, we're hoping to do a Baha'i interview coming up soon, uh, as well as an interview uh, with a, an imam, hopefully. Uh, by the way, uh, link to a charity donation in the description because there was a mosque in our local neighborhood that was that had an arson attack and the guy who we were supposed to interview he was affiliated with that mosque so just a link in the description uh for a charity donation and um that being said stay tuned for planned future episodes